Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Unauthorized Disclosure Podcast. I'm Kevin Gastola, and I'm so pleased that Rania Kalik is here to do the show this week. Hey, Rania. Hey, Kevin. What's up? It's good to be back. Yep. Uh, and uh, so uh, we're going to start by talking about you know what you've been up to. And I said a little bit on the last show, I mentioned the name, I said you were doing something called Redfish, but I didn't really get into it. And uh, they know, the listeners know that you're based in Berlin right now, but talk a little bit about what you've been up to over the past weeks. Well, besides trying to stay warm, because Berlin is cold and gray every day, um, I actually have been traveling a bunch the last couple weeks uh, for my story, my first story that should be... uh, be up next month for uh, Redfish, which is a new online video journalism platform um, that I'm working for now. Uh, It's really cool, and you should totally go check it out. Um, We're on Twitter and Facebook. We launched, uh, I guess we haven't had a show really since we launched, um, like that I've been on. But yeah, we launched last month, and we already have a couple stories up, one on Grenfell, uh, the tower that burned down in, in the U.K., and a story on Catalonia, and then we've got a bunch more coming up that are really awesome. It's really, a, like, a great team uh, that got put together, and uh, I got to be a part of it, and I am a part of it. So uh, definitely check it out, and uh, uh, we'll, I'll, like, definitely keep everybody uh, updated once I have my first story up. And that's what I was traveling for. I was actually in Hungary, um, and I wanna, don't want to say too much yet, but I, I tweeted a little bit about it. But uh, basically my first story is on the relationship between the Israeli and Hungarian governments, uh, and that sounds kind of boring, but it's actually a lot more exciting than just that. But I guess you'll see it when it goes up. I'm really excited about it. I got to spend uh, like a little over a week in Budapest, which I've never been to before. It's a beautiful city, by the way, aside from the politics. <laughs> it's actually a beautiful, beautiful city. That's uh, good to hear. Yeah, I know it is. It's really pretty. And Hungary is like a pretty place. It's just got some nasty um, politics taking place <laughs> at the moment. Uh and I went to the Hungarian border as well. That was interesting. Um, but anyways, uh, and I also got to spend some time in London, but that was uh, for like a training I did. Um, by the way, London is super expensive. It was my first time there. A really, really nice city, uh, but so expensive, like re- insanely expensive. I thought like New York was bad. Um, <laughs> London is insane. It's way worse. Uh, and so now, now I'm based in Berlin. I spent obviously like the last better part of the last year um, in the Middle East, where it was warm most of the time and the sun was typically out. <laughs> and now I'm in cold, cold Berlin, um, and it's been kind of a tough adjustment. If anybody has any any suggestions for how to adjust from beautiful sun weather to like no sun at all in a, p- a potential vitamin D deficiency. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm open to your advice <laughs> open to suggestions so please do let us know in the comments section <laughs> what I can do to stay warm also if anybody does have I'm not joking when I say this uh, and actually Kevin you're, you're based in Chicago so you might have some suggestions but I think Berlin gets even colder uh, if anybody has any suggestions for really warm coats Please let me know because I have no idea like what to buy to stay warm in, in this city. I, everyone's always going on about how Berlin's like the most amazing city in the world. It's so much fun. But I came here at the beginning, basically at the beginning of the winter time, and so far it's just been cold. Well, so what, I'm uh, still waiting for it to be the most amazing city in the world. It hasn't happened for me yet. Well, what are the Germans wearing? Um, like what kind I of don't coats? Know. I don't know. So far, they seem fine. Their coats look like mine, but I mean, it's gonna get sign- yeah. But it's like it's like right now, it's it's not as cold as it can be. Like right now, it's like Washington D.C. cold. It's not too too bad. It's slightly colder than that. But I'm I've but I've also like I should be used to that. But after spending time in the Middle East, it's like you forget what cold is like. Um, well, depending on where, of course. But like it doesn't get that cold in say Beirut. Um, but yeah, I just it's it's so it's not too bad yet, but it's gonna get significantly worse, I'm told, in the next two weeks. Uh, and I guess I could ask Germans, but you know, I just don't have very many friends yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's also been it's gonna sound silly, but it's been a little bit of a culture shock. Um, you know, after you, especially after you're living like in a place where like I know there's a lot of war in the Middle East, but people are still like really warm and friendly and chatty um, and loud. You know, which is the kind of setting that I fit into. Uh, whereas in Berlin, 
Um, you know, Germany is just like, it's a, it's a, I mean, it's a really nice city. It's a nice place, but obviously like, it's like, you know, not the developing world. So like you can drink out of the faucet and stuff. That's pretty cool. Um, it's like cleaner in terms of like people take care of the environment and stuff like that. But just the culture is just different. It's like a little bit cold. It's like much colder. People are a lot quieter. Like people don't like people being loud. So I'm constantly being told to lower my voice, like constantly, um, to an annoying degree. <laughs> and, and it like, I'm, it's just weird. Like even on the train in the morning, like people, they'll be, the train will be packed with people just like you can't even breathe. There's so many people on it, but it's, you could hear a pin drop. Cause like if people are just not, they don't, they're just not loud at all. So anyways, that like, it's been a bit of a culture shock for me. I've just had to sort of adjust to, I guess, being quieter. <laughs> I, I make it sound like it's so difficult and hard. It's a, it's a really nice place. It's just, it's been a bit of a culture shock and also the weather shock. So, uh, so far it's not my cup of tea in terms of like, I'm not, I'm not, a, clearly I'm not a walking advertisement for Berlin. You're not going to be getting the, the, the tourists in America to come. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you guys are getting Germany. excited. Yeah. Are you guys getting excited about visiting Germany? That's the whole point of this. It's supposed to be like a marketing scheme. <laughs> exactly. All right. So, uh, we wanted to just mention, uh, it was a uh, a center point. Uh, it was a focal point of outrage this past uh, week, and uh, everyone was uh, reading or at least hearing rumors about uh, Patreon and how uh, they were going to do changes. Uh, and uh, we've we've really benefited. We really appreciate what we've been able to do over the last year with Patreon. Um, I think if we think about what it was like. A year ago in December, we didn't have much connection to like the people who were listening to our show. So we've we've really used this not only to um, bring in money to help keep the show going, but we also have gotten to know um, many more of our listeners, which has been a great thing. Um, I don't know if you'd agree, but uh, I feel like it's been nice to meet people who enjoy our show. But also, uh, uh, so this platform. The way it's worked is us, the creator, uh, the creators, uh, are in are are being give, we're giving fees to Patreon. You know, they take five percent of what we raise on uh, any given month, and then um, now, after December eighteenth, they say they're going to change it, and it's going to be two point nine percent. Uh, but 35 cents for each individual pledge, which means that if you're someone who supports our show right now and you're just giving a dollar every month, then you're going to only be giving us uh, somewhere Six between 60 and 65 cents. Um, and, you know, we're not going to be really getting a dollar. Uh, and that's not very good for you. I mean, especially if uh, you already have a tight budget um i mean i can see where many people who listen to our show might just be thinking why even bother donating my dollar i'll save it um and uh, uh i'll just keep my my money because i already have a a tight budget well it sounds to me like patreon just made itself a potential winner of our douchebag of the week set our douchebag of the week segment yeah um that's really douchey yeah, no, I, th I think that, like, hands down, they have to be. So in our, our long-running segment um, that we've, we've, we've kept going here, rather Congratulations, than... Congratulations, Patreon! We're, you are douchebag of the week! Uh, Woo! You're the first organization we've recognized. <laughs> yeah. We've usually done people, but... Well, uh, I mean, corporations in America are people, so... They have personhood. Lot, technically, it works, yeah. They have personhood. <laughs> um, uh, and... Uh, you know, I saw some chatter going around, like, wouldn't it be great if we could start, start our own left-wing Patreon? I, I, I agree, but I also would just remind um, Patreon, if, if anyone from the corporate offices ends up hearing the show or seeing conversation going around, <laughs> link, link to any of our shows, whether it's, you know, us or any of the other uh, podcasts of which, you know, we have friends, uh, you know, we make up probably a, a third, if not a quarter, of Patreon. Probably, I mean, left left wing, the left -wing podcasts, yeah. Left wing Patreon, if that existed, would probably 
shrink Patreon considerably. Um, and yeah. so, you know, alienating us, alienating the people who support us. I mean, there's a lot of people who support our show, who support uh, multiple podcasts in addition to our show. And so I, I just, I can't even fathom uh, I mean, I know that this is all just about making money. It's about grabbing more cash for Patreon. But it's a very, very fucking stupid idea for them yeah. to try to uh, make happen. That being said, uh, one of the things that we're going to be doing here just for uh, people to look out is uh, in, in the coming week, uh, we'll, we're gonna, I'm going to put out a pitch at Shadowproof just um, encouraging people to, to donate. So this will be an opportunity for people who want to support the show and don't want fees to go to Patreon to just come uh, donate it to us there, um, and uh, and and then you know we'll we'll get a cut. And also, my colleague Brian does a show on prisons in the United States. Um, he'll get a cut. We're gonna split it halfway, and then and then, then that way. Uh, you won't have to worry about fees going to Patreon. So if, if you really do find yourself frustrated about what Patreon has done, uh, that's an option we're going to put out there. And then also, um, uh, Rania, uh, you've been busy in Berlin and you've been doing all this work, but I'm there and I'm ready to send these bags out to people. So um, Oh, yay, yeah, the bag! I'm already going to be sending out the, the 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 bags to people who are donating $27 or more. I'm going to get addresses from people um, if they would like to get these tote bags. And then for people who are donating $7 or more, you know, the goal of that that was set was 150 patrons. Um, we're very close. Uh, we're somewhere in the 130s range. So if we can get, you know, 10 or more people, uh, and what we'll do is just we'll, we'll count the the donors that are coming through Shadowproof as well and so once you know we're able to get there then i can start getting addresses from people we'll send out the bags to people who are donating seven dollars or more just as a show of support for people who are keeping the show going so also i want a bag too i have to give you my address yes um, remind me remind me to do that because i really do think bags are adorable i'm gonna send it to berlin and yes. uh and and then you can go around germany and uh uh and show everyone and, and yeah i'll be like hey this. germans look at our cool bags you should buy one and also listen to our show <laughs> that is if the bag makes it to me because i gotta say berlin your post office sucks <laughs> shit just gets lost in the mail like i've already had like at least twice um had to be like can you send that to me again i never got it anyways that's another story but i really am just like a pill we probably not, can do a full show i mean maybe it's I'm just uh, me complaining about just, berlin uh, <laughs> And if that's what you want, you know, if the if the listeners decide that they want a full hour of Rania talking about uh, adjusting to Germany, we, we we can do that show. That sounds like a good show. Uh, all right, but moving on so to to, uh, to stories that have uh, been dominating the last week. Uh, I, I mean, right now, uh, it seems like we really should spend some time about uh, on Jerusalem talking about this, this yeah holy shit like everyone wants to go on and on about trump and russia gate and yada yada and trump collusion with russia it's like holy shit let's talk about some trump collusion with netanyahu right uh and i don't know you know you you've you've done a, a lot of work in the middle east so uh, we really want to like i really want to get uh your views on all of this uh but uh there's been very many levels to the way in which people have reacted to the decision. So what we're talking about here is, um, in, a, in a very tight nutshell, that they would move the embassy from Jerusalem, the U.S. embassy, sorry, they move the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem and then uh, recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Um, and not West Jerusalem or East Jerusalem, but all of Jerusalem. So uh, one of the points that have been made is like Russia, I suppose, uh, back in April made a recognition. And I think it was, correct me if I'm wrong, was it West Jerusalem? Would that make sense? Yeah. They recognized yeah. West Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Uh, mm -hmm. and, that, and there maybe was some outrage, but not that much because it still gave Palestinians some ownership of East Jerusalem. Is, is that right? Yeah, so here's the whole idea of the this like decades-long peace process that has been anything but a peace process. 
uh, is that the status of Jerusalem would be uh, would be something that would, would be negotiated as a part of the peace process, like one of the last things that would be negotiated. And of course, the peace process. Not, when I say a peace process, I'm talking about the two-state solution, as they call it. Um, like that was supposed to be a part of those negotiations where you'd have one side, you know, the, the eastern side of Jerusalem would be the cap capital of Palestine, you know, so the, the state of Palestine, and then the west side would be the capital of Israel. Um, but what's actually happened is under this decades-long peace process has actually been this whole idea of a two-state solution has been really just the cover for Israel to steal more land as it's done, build more settlements, and in the case of Jerusalem, to Judaize it. Um, it's like a process of Judaization. That's a, that's a word that the Israelis use. I'm not like just saying that because I'm a psycho. Because people will like, just be like, you're an anti-Semite. But no, that's actually what's been happening, where they actually move Palestinians, especially in parts of East Jerusalem, out of their homes. And they kick them out and replace them with settlers. Like, re and I mean really messianic, like fanatical settlers. Uh, like uh, the kinds that just like constantly abuse and attack Palestinians. Um and any and, and like, we'll, you know, uh, we'll hold these like death to Arab rallies whenever shit gets crazy in the region or in that area. But uh, basically, like the U.S., diplomatically speaking, has always stayed out of even though you've had certain people running for president, especially on the right, when they're running their campaigns, will say we recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. You've actually even had Obama say that before um, during during campaigning. But at the end of the day, diplomatically speaking, you have to keep this idea of a peace process and of a two-state solution going in order to continue to just like give cover to the status quo, which is just more and more stealing more and more of Palestine um, and ethnically cleansing more and more of Palestine and making it Israeli. Uh, and so this is what's in, what happened last week is interesting. It's caused a lot of outrage because it's really just been like a, a it's, it's really been like the last nail in the coffin of the so-called peace process. Um, and I'm not saying it's a good thing, but in terms of just kind of showing the reality of the situation, it's just showing the reality of the situation and that now you don't have this pretend, oh, we support peace while more settlements are built. Now at least you have officials saying like what's really going on, like what's really going on. And also you have, I think really, if it makes sense, Kevin, you have the death of liberal Zionism because the peace process and the idea of two states is what has allowed like liberal Zionists to continue to advocate for this idea of yes, you can have a Jewish state in this region of the world that's not like it's not predominantly Jewish. You can totally have a Jewish state, you know, side by side next to a Palestinian state that's like clearly doesn't actually like it's like an illusion. It's a two-state illusion or a two-state delusion, if you want to see it that way. But anyways, they can't say that anymore. Now you have a situation where you're saying, okay, no more two-state solution. Okay no more Palestine, that means you're basically saying the only alternative is one state. So it's either one state where one demographic group, because of their religion when they're, that they were born into, uh, gets to rule over, dominate the other, um, and have more rights, and it's basically an apartheid state, or you get one state where everybody has equal rights, and that's essentially what Palestinians are going to call for, and many of them already are. Um, and so that puts people in a predicament, especially liberals who support the state of Israel. Um, at some point, you got to either get behind the apartheid state fully and endorse it, or you support equal rights for all, but you don't get to have this option anymore of pretending to support two states that never really was. So there's my breakdown. And as, I think, as you as you put it, it really exposes the, the fraud, like this idea that the U.S. could be some kind of impartial mm -hmm. arbiter of peace in the Middle East, and, and uh, quite clearly that that's not something that has ever existed and uh but the other thing I, and i wanted to have you address this because i've seen uh this point made that uh perhaps one uh dynamic that is going to benefit donald trump is that there are uh several middle eastern governments that are willing to uh ignore um or just flat out suppress what their citizens want in relation to Palestine. And so it's possible for Donald Trump to make this kind of a decision and incorporate it into U.S. policy. Yeah, so Trump does in this case have the support of his best friends in Saudi Arabia, even though the Saudis deny that they supported this move. We do know from various reports that Mohammed bin Salman, the, the, the new tyrant of Saudi Arabia, the crown prince, uh, 
was like basically making a deal about this and giving away Palestine to Jared Kushner, like more, even more than, I think he was out trying to out Israel, the Israelis. Uh, and, and so, yeah, Trump does have the support of the various reactionary Arab monarchies and Arab states. Uh, even though some of them publicly said they're against this, countries like the UAE and Saudi Arabia don't give a shit. They're happy to just like hand over Palestine and let it all be Israel. They don't give a shit about Palestinians. A lot of the Arab leaders don't. And what this does is it also creates like a bigger dividing line, I think, between the Middle East. And I'm not talking about the reactionary Arab monarchies. I'm talking about the states like Syria and Iran and the sort of resistance bloc, as they as they're called, uh, that have some sort of like and in Hezbollah that have some that have that basically publicly are against Israel and against U.S. machinations in the region and the people who support them. It splits them even more from the U.S. as well as like Europe. I think that this is really going to create even bigger divisions between Europe and the U.S., which I think is really interesting because, you know, obviously Europe is a supporter of Israel, the EU. That said, the EU is not a big supporter of Likud. They're not a big supporter of the right-wing Israeli government. And in the eyes of the Israeli government, they're not pro-Israel enough. They do fund these various like Palestinian NGOs and stuff. And so um, the EU has a different stance, is much less hawkish on the Israel-Palestine issue than the U.S. is. And so it's just going to create a bigger division between, like I said, the U.S. and the EU. So I think that the, the consequences of this of this decision are for the Palestinians is mostly going to be symbolic because it doesn't really change their daily lives in a significant way, except that there is more of a reaction of protest in like the West Bank and in Gaza. People have been shot in both the West Bank and Gaza. And there's been some strikes on Gaza um, from retaliatory strikes from Hamas uh, and uh, the Israelis hitting them. And so this actually, I mean, it could lay the groundwork for another war on Gaza, which is going to happen eventually anyways. But like, as far as it goes, Palestinians is just, a, just another, like, another, like, symbolic way of just, like, offending and insulting Palestinians. But like I said, symbolic, like, in terms of reality on the ground, I don't think it's going to change much because settlements have still been ongoing. Maybe it'll accelerate that process slightly. But really, I think in the diplomatic sphere, it's going to have more consequences against the U.S. Um, than anything else. Because what's interesting... And Israel. Also, and Israel, I will say. Sorry. It'll isolate the U.S. and Israel even more from the rest of the world. So what's interesting is how like different people within the government have wanted to address what was done. This is clearly something coming from Donald Trump in the, and the White House and that other people who are diplomatic officials in the State Department are not necessarily 100% on board. They, they knew this decision was coming, but it seems like it's very possible just from uh, someone just maybe assessing the U.S. from the outside could say, it the embassy isn't going to be built. It's not going to be moved. This isn't something that we're going to see happen in four to five years. It's possible that Donald Trump just has this rhetorical thing where he can continue to talk about moving an embassy and claim that there's a embassy in the works that they're going to build and they're they've got blueprints and they're going to put it in uh, Jerusalem but maybe it never happens um, and and I, I realize that the, that's a possibility but on the other hand the one thing that I found very um, revealing just about all of this and like just how like uh, pro-Israel um, our media is is just like tuning into CNN when this was reported you have uh, Elliot Abrams Come on, who, who's, you know, history is, you know, of the neocon variety um, being um, someone who is, is typically okay with this sort of... He was um, like an architect. He was one of the lead architects of the Iraq War. Yeah. And um, so he's sitting there being asked to give his reaction. And of course, um, he's... He's not saying that, like, he fully supports it, but he's not saying that, like, he's opposed to it either. He's just decides to talk about how um, horrible it's going to be that um, the and, and the way that he's talking is, is like, you know, the barbarians or the hordes are going to come out into the streets and they're going to register their discontent and there's going to be violence. And uh, try as she might, the, the anchor... The, the woman who was anchoring was trying uh, mightily to try and say something 
uh, and, and counter this and, and, and try to steer the conversation in a direction that could focus on the negative aspects of um, making the capital Jerusalem, but uh, she just couldn't. Um, because, because, you know, by and large, you get cold feet on air. You're afraid to, like, offend the pro-Israel uh, groups in the United States. And so she's just going along with this. And, and it wasn't that he was so much championing the decision to move the capital to Jerusalem, but also just the fact that, like, you know, he's blaming them for getting outraged. He's blaming people for becoming um, angry that this is going to happen to their territories to their country um and so and so i I found that to be remarkable well i think what's really interesting is cnn's been trying to take it's kind of like when the airstrikes happened on syria um and everybody was like now trump looks really presidential you know it's like with moves like this the media just like is trying to be so anti-trump and they contradict themselves because they don't know what to do with this kind of thing because if any other president had done it they would have largely been supportive of it um and I think what's re- re- what, what we should remind people is, uh, is Congress back in the 90s passed a resolution. They were pretty much, I think it might have been unanimous, but whatever the case may be, uh, as far as the vote breakdown, it passed in the Congress that they were going to recognize the capital of Israel was Jerusalem. And uh, that was a thing that our Congress did back in the 90s. And the White House has... Uh, administrations, you know, Bush made a pledge. Uh, this is something that Donald Trump has been very proud about, by the way. Um, he he has claimed that he carried out a campaign pledge that President George W. Bush broke, um, which was, uh, you know, or did not fulfill uh, when uh, he made the pledge to do so in, in 2000. So he was on board with do, making this move as well. Something we need to mention before moving on is um, I want to make sure that we bring in uh, just there's a Christian Zionism aspect to this. Uh, yeah, the end. Well, you know, okay, this is a, I gotta say, if there's something to be excited about with uh, this Jerusalem move, it's that the end of days, Kevin, are closer. <laughs> and as you know, I'm a big fan of the end of days. <laughs> I am rapture ready, baby. Well, bring it on. <laughs> I mean, every day, every day is another day of training for the rapture with Donald <laughs> Trump. So I feel like this is this is boot camp for us. And we are all becoming better off at preparing for what I'm sure is going to be worse than this. But, you know, Los Angeles is on fire. So. Oh, God, I saw the videos of that. And you know that the prison inmates are being paid like a dollar a day to fight those wildfires? Yes. So... Um, these are and these are these are pregame end times. Uh, yeah, get your get your get your six pack out, man. Like, <laughs> we, there's going to be a lot of pregaming to try and make this seem like it's not the worst thing in the world. Um, uh, but yeah, go ahead. Though, but just the with the, the the Zionism thing, um, you know, this is something that like I was aware we were headed in this direction, and most people were. Uh, Donald Trump always seemed to um, kind of subdue it with his personality, or he. You know, when he campaigned, he didn't really channel this evangelical Christian vibe that comes from Mike Pence. Oh, he was he was like too busy pussy grabbing. Yeah, uh, <laughs> e- exactly. Um, uh, and talking about how he was going to win and just, just everything that he talked was just in this like, you know, oafish, buffoonish sort of way <laughs> that is Donald Trump standard. But, you know, that the, the, that's quite a contrast to the way Mike Pence likes to talk, which is to invoke God and, 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 and raise the specter of religion all the time when he's um, giving his I, I think that Donald Trump even, like, mocked something, like, mocked him privately for it. He was like, <laughs> if it was up to Mike Pence, he'd shoot all the gays, which is probably true. Exactly. Um, <laughs> well, so the, so the thing is, um, just, you know, what, what, what Mike Pence is doing here and others in the White House, what they really want to get out of this move to Jerusalem, uh, move, uh, and by doing this, um, you know, it's believed that in order to get the, um, the these end times that you're talking about, in order to get Armageddon, that you have to cleanse Jerusalem of the Muslims in order to make it safe for um, Jesus's return. Yeah, and also make it safe for the um, large cauldron of blood that Jews are going to be boiling in yes. when the end time comes. Yeah. 
yeah. <laughs> which so, i don't like, know how netanyahu feels about that something. like is it like like is that something that like if you were a, a, a jewish you would be concerned about that that christians well are... it depends it depends because like zionism has sort of had this ongoing historical alliance with anti-semitism um mm. That no, and actually, that's something that I'm going to touch on in my upcoming story. I'm just like a walking advertisement. My upcoming story for Redfish. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good teaser. And now we, and like we interrupt the show, and then we go to like the bunker because we we, we've now you. got Redfish advertising embedded in our show. So. <laughs> yeah. But no, actually, this is um, something that you know our our good friends Max Blumenthal and Ben Norton on their podcast recently had Joseph Massad on uh, to talk about this sort of like historical alliance between Zionism and anti-Semitism. It's really fascinating, actually. But it, when it comes to people like Netanyahu, um, that's their biggest, they know that's their biggest base in America. I mean, they're losing young Jews. Like, young Jews in America don't have any, like, don't have an attachment to Israel. They're very far removed from the Holocaust. So that can't really be held in their faces to, like, guilt them into support for this, like, very illiberal state. Uh, whereas Christian Zionists just blind, like, blindly, um, are there, first of all, they're a huge political demographic in the U.S. They actually get people elected president. Um, and, and like Netanyahu uh, and like Likud in general sees them as their allies. Like those are their biggest allies because they will blindly support Israel. And to them, it's like, who cares what their reasoning is? If they want to believe in the end times, let them. Um, there's also a messianic movement that is taking hold in Israel. It's largely like based in like, the settler movement. And it's these people who believe that, that they can actually bring the end of times as well from the Jewish perspective. Um, they, and they want to do this by building the third temple, by demolishing Al-Aqsa Mosque in Jerusalem and building the third temple on, on top of it, um, the third Jewish temple, and that this is going to bring the Messiah. Uh, so there are converging extremist interests. Um, you know, I'm just kind of waiting for Al-Qaeda to get involved. You know, that, that would be actually like the perfect like, extremist trifecta. Because if you could just get the Islamists on board. <laughs> and then you would just have like fanatics from from everywhere, <laughs> from all the major Abrahamic religions uh, supporting this rapture shit. But anyways, uh, so yeah, you were asking if it like, it, 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 isn't it like something like, isn't it weird that Netanyahu would support this? It's actually very consistent with uh, with Zionism, especially this the sort of like fascistic brand of Zionism. Um, well, fascistic is a strong word, but you know, it's a, a really hard right wing form of Zionism. Uh, not that there's a left wing one, but the hard right one that, that like Likud comes out of. Um, it's very consistent with what historically that, that branch of Zionism has been supportive of. When Donald Trump uh, gave his inauguration, just this one last uh, note here, uh, he actually did invoke what I took to be, you know, holy war. I mean, this, this like talk of like crusading and it was very messy. It had a messianic element to it. And, uh, just to remind people, although I'm sure this will just bring back, um, this might trigger some kind of trauma among people who listen to our show. But anyways, uh, he said, we will be protected by the great men and women of our military and law enforcement. And most importantly, we are protected by God. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I assume, presume that Mike Pence in, was involved in writing that line. But, you know, you can draw a through line. You can, you can extend from that <laughs> through to this past week um, making that change. Because I do think that it very much is about appeasing um, evangelical Christians who support Donald Trump. Totally. And I just like it, their support for Donald Trump really does demonstrate that like they have like that they really lack any uh, sort of what's the word I'm thinking of principles, decency, um, human decency. Well, well, like a lot of I mean, but no, but like a lot about what they support, like is indecent, like the kinds of wars that that evangelicals have been like the bedrock of, you know, it's indecent. But it, it, it is consistent with their principles, you know, but with Donald Trump, it's like he is the the like he is the opposite of everything that they claim to like represent, you know, like in every extreme way, like with the pussy grabbing, <laughs> just like the Hollywood elite kind of guy, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, just this buffoonish, clownish, dirty, like, like not even pretending to care about family values kind of guy. Um, like, you know, so it's, it's just bizarre, but I mean, it is what it is. Um, 
And on that note, one thing I did want to mention, I, I didn't mention it to you before we started recording, but it's a big thing that happened uh, while I was gone, at least, was the tax cuts. Oh, yeah. That got passed under Donald Trump. What the fuck is going on in America? Like, the, the, the tax cuts for private jet owners? Oh, I mean, yeah. okay, to be fair, it is not easy being a private jet owner. I understand, like, it's... I mean, yeah, like you deserve it. You deserve a tax cut if you can afford a private jet. You got to buy a lot of uh, gasoline. Yachts, yeah, yeah, the gasoline, and also like I knew a guy once who, because the taxes are so high on private jet owners, he had to sell one of his yachts. Oh, well. Really sad. Yeah, yeah. I, I hope you found a support <laughs> group to deal with that. After. Yeah, maybe he should start like a Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> a GoFundMe so he can pay for his yacht. And keep it. But it's unbelievable. And you know, okay, so I know I've been bitching a lot about Berlin and like the weather and the culture. Oh God, I sound terrible. If you're German and you're listening, I am so sorry if I offended you. <laughs> but what I will say is this is like these European countries, they have these like social, well, at least Germany has like a social safety net. And it's like, you know, uh, people here, I mean, they pay really high taxes. But, like, they get so much in return. Like, they get affordable health care that's, like, really good. And they get, like, a nice train and public service. Like, they get, like, really good public services and public transportation systems. And, I mean, there's, like, you don't see homeless people. I mean, sometimes there's, like, a guy on the train asking for money. But, like, it's just not nothing like in the U.S. And, I mean, people just get, take, get taken care of. Like, even, like, they've taken in all these refugees and they've taken care of them and, like, and then, like, you look at the U.S., like, my parents have worked their entire lives, like, and I mean worked like fucking dogs. Like, like my dad, like, worked, like, as, like, a waiter for a catering company. My mom worked in a hotel. Like, like not easy work, you know? My dad's disabled because of the work that he did. And, like, now my parents are at retirement age, and they have no retirement. Like, not enough to, like, live off of. Like, if they didn't have kids, not me, because I, I don't have the kind of money to support my parents, but if they, like, my other sisters are actually, like, normal and have real jobs... <laughs> didn't go into media <laughs> and, and like so they can help support you know my parents but like if my parents didn't have kids who who could help them like they'd be fucked and they've worked their entire fucking lives like that that's just in, insane to think about and like and then you come to a place like Germany and like if you have residency in Germany for like three years and work you can get a pension you can qualify for a pension and like people in Europe get a pension when they, you know, when they retire, they, they can like live off of it. Like in America, you can't do that unless you have like a really good union job. And even then you might lose it. So I don't know. It's just really stunning how in the U.S. like it, the, the, the level of income inequality looks so much worse from afar. And the obsession with just giving rich people more and more. And then like also are people doing anything about it other than complaining on Twitter? No, there are people who are doing sit-ins, and they're they're going to congressional offices. There were clergy people who went in in Maine to Susan Collins's office. You know, there are people who are very deliberately targeting the most likely, uh, the well, not the most likely votes against, but like GOP senators who you could see pressuring and moving them to stop these uh, tax breaks for the rich and the the. Mega corporations. I mean, I want to emphasize here that like people who own smaller businesses probably see very minimal benefit to anything. This is this is really for uh, mega conglomerates. It's a big giveaway to people who run massive corporations that already have tons of cash. And it's like it's like they're not even trying to hide it. Like it's so the blatant and obvious, and that's why it's so shocking. Like aren't Republicans worried about losing their base? It's, like all those old well, people so that like vote for them? Like you said, <laughs> the class war is just so in your face. And it's already been widely reported and agreed upon that people in lower income brackets are going to see their tax cuts be phased out by 2026. Meanwhile, the people in the top 1% are going to continue to uh, benefit from these changes and it's all under a guise that this this is gonna like trickle down but it it you know this is not even anything that like again it, i i um i mentioned this last week when um, i was putting together uh, the, the episode that we released last week but it's just as you tune in to cnn i kind of look to that to be like a barometer of the establishment and how they're reacting to all of this and even they 
don't buy this idea that any of these corporations are going to use this money to hire people to work. Yeah. Which is the whole um, thing. Like, if that was true, maybe it would be a little bit more defensible, but they are just going to give this money uh, as in bonuses to executives. Yep. They're going to um, improve their offices. They're going to expand and start new offices. In their different... executives are going to buy new vacation homes. Um, and, possibly... and they're going to give the money back to their investors. They're going to, yeah. or they're going to buy back shares of their own stock in order to help their price of their stock go up in the market. I mean, the level of like inequality and growing poverty in the US is just so shocking because it's like the richest country in the world. And but it's just it just becomes even more shocking. Like it's like, I, I don't know, man, I just I just can't. So I, I just don't know, like, where are the pitchforks? Yeah. Like, I don't know where are the mobs with pitchforks. I don't know what else needs to happen. Well, one thing like, that should, could be said is we, we've had Occupy. Uh, yeah. We had Occupy in 2011. That was um, a, a peaceful attempt to uh, call attention to wealth inequality. Uh, and also, uh, we've had Bernie Sanders' campaign. We, we've yeah. had people move from just uh, sitting in parks and talking about how they want to change the world to, to plugging in in the... Uh, the, the diff- in, into the system um, at the at, at city levels at state levels um, we uh, and and national level we've had this whole like Sanders kind of uh, revolution as they like to call it um, mm-hmm. and where does this go now I mean like if it doesn't work out if if this continues and nothing changes where do people think it goes because that 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 frustration the the discontent among poor and lower class people is not just going to um, be kept contained. It's going to manifest itself in ways that are violent. No, it go, exactly. I mean, that's true. It's just a matter of like, if it's going to be effective or not at that point. And also uh, it's just like, it's, it's really difficult for anything to explode or really like predict how anything will explode into something effective or not effective because like, it can just be really draining when you have like two jobs and you're paying student loans and not even just uh, directed at the state or, or like government. I mean, it could be, uh, you know, we see sure. an incredible uptick in murders or we see an incredible uptick <gasps> well, in, yeah, that's in, what I mean. in uh, like domestic violence or you see suicide skyrocket or, or something. What's like, or what's even, even scarier is you might see an uptick in like right wing fanaticism because yeah. – a lot because these kinds of conditions are really like a breeding ground, especially if you don't have any like alternative Bernie Sanders style or even better. Like, I mean, Bernie, you know, it's funny. It's like I love Bernie Sanders uh, because there's so few people like him. But in the context of Europe, like Bernie Sanders isn't anything new. He's actually like the center. <laughs> yeah. um, it's like and in, you know, like the center. Right. Like, he's like, I mean, Angela Merkel, like he's like he's not that different. from her, <laughs> And she's kind of a conservative, you know. Uh, so for like in the context of the U.S., like you just don't like what's Jacobin going to bring people in to the left? Like they're too what, busy. Like, go ahead. Well, it's true because it, there's one thing that they have in Germany that I, uh, I I find incredible, which is in Germany when you leave your workplace, it is against the law for your boss to call you. While, oh man, I should I while, should okay. while you are at home um, because I didn't know it, that or. or um, uh, so there's this excellent, um, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of whatever the hell Michael Moore is up to right now, as as it, <laughs> as, it as it involves his, um, um, you know, his vanity efforts to go after Donald Trump. Um, I I don't have any interest in his vanity projects, his anti-Trump vanity projects, but. Where to Invade Next was a really excellent film where he traveled to all the European countries and showed the things that they have that we don't have, that it would be really mm-hmm. great if people in this country would just laser like with with laser like focus, they would go after. And in Germany, um, you know, this was a thing that 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 they have um, in addition to uh, you have like a lunch break. Uh, you have a mandatory. Yeah, you're like it's I think it's a, like 10 minute. I take more of these th- than most, but 10 minute coffee break, 30 minute lunch break, I think, I think is mandatory um, okay. to give. And it's, it's also like nine to five thirty is like the typical working hours, but which sounds like a lot, but you get like an insane amount. I mean, compared to the U S like you get an insane amount of vacation days. I think like almost, you get like 20 days, I think at least like of holiday days. And then you get a bunch of sick days. 
And you get like, uh, you know, for the work that I work at, you get like compensation days. So like if you ever do work a weekend, which happens sometimes because like I might be filming um, and like I might end up doing that on a Saturday and Sunday or something if I'm like um, away in location or something. And I get those days back whenever I want, like within obviously within reason, like assuming there's no deadlines. But the point is, is like, yeah, the labor laws here are pretty, and the Germans are really like, they're really big on it too. Like the German people that I do work with, um, a couple of them, like they, it's like when it's five 30, they're like, all right, bye. <laughs> yeah. It's important. Like, yeah. And, yeah. and the thing about Europe, which is not something, which is not something you're used to in the U S at all. Like at all. Anyways, go ahead. Well, I just was going to say that, uh, so, so there, so in Italy, uh, there's actually a, a two-hour period where you go home, you make your food at home for lunch, mm-hmm. and then you come back to work. That's awesome. Um, Take a and, nap, maybe. And uh, <laughs> and it's just because they believe that's how the, the day should go, and it's also easier on workers to to do that. Uh, and you know, we're not even getting into like the paternity leave. Like we don't, ha- we can barely oh. get maternity leave, paid maternity leave in the United States. I think in Germany you get like a year. Um, and uh... yeah, uh, it it is incredible the in-your-face class warfare. Uh, but I wanted to mention before we move on to our last topic of the show that there was a report put out. It's excellent. We'll put a link. Uh, maybe we'll share it with our Twitter account. It's called Foreclosed. Destruction of Black Wealth During the Obama Presidency. It was done by Ryan Cooper and Matt Brunig. And Ryan Cooper is a national correspondent at theweek.com. And then Matt Brunig is um, a writer. His works appeared in the New York Times. Um, He was a policy analyst analyst for Demos Think Tank. Um, So um, he's done stuff on poverty. Before Nier Nier Tannen got him fired. Uh, Sorry, I just wanted to... Yes. Yeah. Yes. Nira's politically irrelevant right now, so I'm going to get back to this report. Sorry, sorry, I just <laughs> the the uh, but but uh, this is really well done. Um, but just to like give you a, a quick thumbnail, uh, you know, it, it starts off by talking about how the average wealth of the bottom 99% has decreased by four thousand five hundred dollars um, in the in the period between 2007 and 2016, um, and then it looks at the housing wealth. Of, of, of African Americans and um, says that um, uh, the black home equity what is uh, still $16,700 less. Meanwhile, over the same period, the average wealth of the top 1% has increased by $4.9 million. Hmm. Uh, and uh, that makes we, me want to claw my eyes out. And it's a future show that we, we should talk about. Um, you know, get into some of the findings here, talking about housing. Um, I, I don't want to just um, give this a a, a reckless um, overview, but uh, wanted to mention this so people can go uh, read more of it because I think it's very valuable and it's a reminder again that uh, while things are dark and dreary and bleak for us right now under Donald Trump, there isn't much of a difference for many sections of our population from now um, to, you know, if you go back five or seven years under Obama, you know, things have in some ways maintained a path or a trajectory that uh, it would have been nice if we could have elected somebody to, to change that. But Mm -hmm. um, in many ways, Donald Trump is just continuing trends that were ongoing under president Obama. And, and, you know, if you think about it, these trends have been ongoing for so long now, like there hasn't been a boom in the economy for people in so long. You've had this sort of like extreme poverty and growing, which is kind of the incomes, like the area of the segment of the population that you're talking about. Um, and, you know, poverty, even even just financial insecurity has such a dramatic effect um, that goes beyond just like, you know, just the people, like just the people who are suffering from it, like it goes to like, it affects their kids. Like it affects, it affects communities. It affects society. And this has been ongoing for a couple of decades now where it's just been getting worse. Like, I think the last time there was like an up, up a period that was like booming in the economy where people were generally okay was like the nineties. Um, anyways, we should have someone to come and talk about these kinds of things at some point. Cause we don't really talk about where you, we usually focus so much on, uh, foreign policy issues 
I think that we, some, well, I don't think we focus much on economy, so we should totally have a show well, devoted well, we'll, to that at some point. We'll, we'll invite Ryan on our show. Yeah, and, and we'll yeah, talk, I like we'll, Ryan. He's we'll, cool. we'll talk to him, and uh, and he's been doing uh, excellent work, um, not only uh, with this report, but in uh, documenting things related to Donald Trump. I believe he had a piece this last week uh, about like all the horrible things that Donald Trump has done in the last week that are... Uh, just because it's overwhelming, like the, the <laughs> stuff that that is happening, it just piles up so greatly, and you are you are drowning in it, and you don't know how to address it. So, um, yeah, I like I I find myself like sometimes just being like using the fact that I'm not in the U.S. as an excuse not to have to look. <laughs> the last thing up. we wanted to just uh, mention and and it's talk about is uh, the resignation of uh, Senator Al Franken. And, uh, and, uh, I don't, I don't know how you're feeling about this run. Your well, you know what I'm feeling? I'm feeling a couple things. First of all, and I'm, someone's going to hate me for saying this, but like, how is it possible that we're like, that America is a country where like us officials literally th- drop bombs on countries and like rape countries, literally like they, they like destroy the fuck out of countries but people are forced to resign over allegations of forced kissing, which I'm not saying it's okay, but I'm just saying it's a very confusing paradigm. And that's kind of how it looks from abroad. It's like that America's a weird place. Like people are resigning for like, for like really disgusting, you know, like pray, like pranks, you know, where they're, they look like they're groping someone's boobs, but like they like invade countries and no one cares. Like that's what it looks like. I'm just saying. Anyways, uh, well, that's that's a really <laughs> fair point to make. And also people are resigning because they start to hear rumors that they're going to be outed as people who have engaged in inappropriate behavior, which is what happened to Representative Trent Franks. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which uh, what was it? He was trying to pay. He was trying to like pay a woman five million dollars to like have his baby or something. <laughs> I'm sorry. I is that what that was? Laugh about. It's not something to laugh about. It just looks so absurd. I don't know, but like, uh, I mean, that's really weird and kind of creepy, but is that something, but is that something that like, well, he retaliated against one girl for like, for like pushing Well, I also want to just say on this show that I'm not downplaying it, but, but when the story broke, there were no details about him and there were just all these whisperings about inappropriate behavior. And then the fact that he left left just shows that it was really bad, but he didn't. No, no. Yeah. He didn't even say anything about it. He was just like, I can't be a representative and that's happening. And I think, you know, in, in general, the people who are just leaving on their own accord because they recognize that this behavior is, is bad and, um, you know, it's indefensible. That's that's one thing. Um, you know, it's just it's with Al Franken, though. It's like he what like he first of all, he's denying some of these allegations against him. What he admitted to, he apologized for, and I still don't believe what he did admit to. I don't believe it comes to the level of rape. Like, I just don't believe that. Um, I believe he what he did was a really disgusting joke. And um, his perception of the whole kissing thing was like, you know, practicing a scene on SNL or whatever. And he didn't see it the same way, but he still apologized. Um, my point is, is like, I don't think it's right to start equating things like that with rape or molestation or like what Roy Moore did getting banned from a fucking mall. You know, I don't think those things should be equated. I don't think they're the same. And I think it does. It's like an it's like a disservice to pretend like it's all the same. And I also think it's fucked up because he's resigning. He's being pushed out. Uh, and like like the people who are still there have done way worse than him. Like way worse like and i just don't think that people are considering the impact of this he's a fucking senator and like you know i don't know i think that he should there's like no due process here whatsoever he was even like opening himself up to like an ethics investigation yeah i think that's what's important to uh address is uh so senator kirsten uh, gillibrand i i heard her say on television on uh, uh that that we're getting bogged down in conversation about whether, you know, is this, is this sexual harassment? Is this assault? Um, is it, is it rape or, or what, what was this? Uh, we're trying to like put it on some kind of a, a spectrum here. Uh, and in, in fact, 
It really shouldn't matter. No matter what, if you engage in this conduct, you should just be out of Congress. Um, that's really stupid on her. That's a really stupid thing for her to say, in my opinion, because it's like it's equating all. It's like saying all this conduct is the same. And I just don't think what Al Franken did, like, I don't think what he did is at the level of rape or sexual assault. I don't think like, and I think that he deserves his like, I think he deserves a proper investigation if that's how it's going to be. And look at the fucking people he works with. Look at the president of the United States. He literally said, he bragged, he bragged about grabbing pussies. Like he yeah. bragged about it, you know? How many allegations have there been against him? He's not gonna be leaving office. I just think, like, it's just the right isn't reacting the same way as liberals are well, to all of these. They're actually, liberals are hurting themselves. Like, like Al Franken is somebody who can be voting for bills against violence, like, like for, you know, to, to, to clamp down on violence against women, for example. You know what I mean? He's the senator who's going to be voting for that, not yeah. like some right winger who might replace him. Well, you just, people should ask themselves, you know, are... Are, are women better off, or, or if that's how they want to put it, or is our world better off? Are we more safe because Al Franken is no longer in the U.S. Senate? And I don't know if the answer to that question um, is going to be a yes. Also, he didn't, like, also, it's like, it's not like we're talking about a rapist here. Like, I don't think Al Franken, as far as I can tell, isn't a rapist. <laughs> but, more, but more importantly, you know, you have this issue where, an ethics investigation was happening and you were expecting that that was going to be allowed to unfold and then they would give some kind of a, a report and then based on it, Al Franken could leave the Senate if it found that there was a, a damning pattern of behavior that could not be defended. And, uh, and, and, you know, on one level, he's hoping to exonerate himself. On another level, the people who have accused him might be looking for some confirmation of the things that they've been saying in the media. And that's what due process is valuable for, is objectively confirming beyond the crowd justice that is going on, but objectively confirming that, in fact, something has gone on. Now, what you had is Democrats get frantic and scared that they're going to, uh, you know, that, that, that they need him to leave the Senate so that they can have political advantages against. But they're the not going to have any, they're not going to have any political advantages against anybody. And on top of that, look what MSNBC fucking did because of like some yeah. like attempted smear by that right wing guy, Mike Cernovich or whatever the fuck his name is. I don't care if I say it wrong. Um, but like, because of that guy from the old right, they like tried to fire Sam Cedar and they, and they, and they, they had fired him from MSNBC. Who's one of the more progressive voices they have uh, as a commentator. Uh, not that I like MSNBC, but I'm just saying. And they ultimately, because of like a petition uh, demanding he be reinstated, they ultimately reinstated his job. But like, you know, what's really fucked up about all this, Kevin, is as a woman in media, who's like, I've experienced my fair share of sexual harassment, of sexual assault. Unfortunately, it's like a part of the job description. It just, it happens. And you almost, you expect it and you get used to it. And that's not right. None of this has helped me. None of this me too shit. If it's helped other people, great for you. But like, as somebody who's relatively powerless um, in this industry, who's like, I'm a loud voice online and I've done work that gets a pretty big following, but I'm still powerless. I don't have power in this industry at all. Um, I don't have the money to have the power in this industry. This, none of this is helping me at all. None of this is making my job, like as a, as a woman in media, any better. Like none of the people who've sexually assaulted me are gonna like ever, you know, have to pay any consequences for that at all. It seems like this has just become a situation for people who are either in Hollywood or like in like um, in like the public eye, like on television, in politics or in politics themselves, that this is like just like happening in this one specific bubble. Um, and that's it. It's not actually helping people like me <laughs> or helping people who are workers. It's just not. And so. I actually don't even understand what the benefit of any of this is, to be honest. Maybe I'm completely like blind and stupid to not see what the benefit is. And anybody who wants to yell at me for saying that is welcome to. But like, as a woman, I'm sure there'd be like a fucking like <laughs> endless, endless line of like, of like really moralistic men who will want to tweet at me how terrible I am for saying that. But that's the truth from where I'm standing. Well, first off, you're the woman, so I'm supposed to respect what you say. So if you say that, then, 
you know, it, it, it should be true and nobody should come after you and, and tell you that you're wrong to have those feelings. Although I'm sure there might be um, uh, people who hold themselves out as feminists who share demeaning things about you uh, because you are making statements that somehow uh, you, you're encouraging men to um, sexually assault people or something. I mean, this is just the garbage. <laughs> this, is, this is where the level of discourse is in our country. Um, and, and that, you know, like we can't even have a reasonable conversation about this without people um, going to like DEFCON 5 to shut down uh, debate. But um, I also want to, before we conclude, bring in the politics of this, because what what is happening right now and what I am so um, going to probably pull every last bit of my hair out over in 2018 uh, is this thing where uh, Democrats versus Republicans are going to try to wield this issue against each other. And and I'm, it, I, it really is at this point right now, Rania, where it's like Democrats will say, or, 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 or we'll, we'll, I'll start with the GOP. We'll say the GOP will say that they've heard that like three or four Democratic representatives are about to resign from Congress. And then a, a Democratic strategist will shoot back and be like, no, that's not true. That's absolutely not true. But I've heard <laughs> that seven or eight GOP senators are going to be resigning in no less than two weeks because they're engaged in inappropriate sexual misconduct. And you're just like, you know, and then at some point you want to just like cut to the woman, the, the single mom who's trying to work two jobs and get by and she's still making unequal pay in this country. And at some point you're just like, okay, don't you get it? Like this, this, but that's, the Democrats really believe that this is going to be the way that they can win elections. Yeah. Just because right, on right now and like in 2018. Making... And again, we go back to what we've been saying over and over again, since Bernie Sanders was forced out of the democratic primary and not allowed to be the presidential nominee who ran against Donald Trump. And it is the fact that they still do not want to offer people anything that other is, than uh, identity that, that like... addresses the material conditions that they are going for. And so instead of incorporating the things from our revolution or any of these groups in the aftermath of Sanders campaign that have so many different planks and platform issues that they could pick up. What are they going to do? They're like going to make tax 50 cuts. Like they, for example, the fucking tax cuts. They're going to make 50%. I, I, I say no less than this. It's going to be like half of these campaigns are going to be about, I am not a groper. I do not sexually assault people. I do not touch women inappropriately like that Republican, like the Republican Party. Like, you so know what's amazing me. is like, you'd think they would have learned from the fact that, that the guy who literally bragged about grabbing pussy still got elected president would teach them that people just aren't going to vote on that issue. And then they're going to realize, like, and then they're going to, they're going to have like shell shock afterwards. They're going to say like this. And then I'm going to have people tweeting at me being like, are you happy that you hated Hillary Clinton so much? This is all your fault. And they're going to say the shows <laughs> that like people are okay with misogyny. And I'm going to say, no, that's, that's not the truth. What it shows is that if you don't offer people a way to understand the world that they live in, then they're going to vote for the guy over there that has a better idea that has a Donald Trump present has an idea that yeah, has an idea, has an know, idea. But... He presents a perspective. It's a shitty, fucked up perspective, but Hillary Clinton didn't offer anybody anything. And Democrats don't. They just say they're not Republican. Yeah, and that's not enough. Like, sadly, sadly, you'd think that would be enough, considering how shitty Republicans are. But, like, that's just not enough. So I mean, that's why Al Franken had to go. It ultimately has nothing to do with these women who accused him of sexual harassment and uh, or uh, uh, inappropriate kissing or whatever. Yeah, no, the dumps for the DNC pushed him out. It's about how uh, we can look good to voters. And, and by the way, they're fucking it up. I don't know if you saw with Doug Jones, but they put out this like racist flyer. Oh uh, God, no! I didn't see um, who's yeah. Doug Jones and what what racist. Okay, liar. so Doug Jones is the is the Democrat running against Roy Moore. Ah, okay. He should be able to lock this up. He should be able to win people. And he <laughs> yeah. Should be able... Hey, I you can you can actually literally in that situation run on the slogan of "I'm still allowed to go to the mall." <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> but they put out a flyer, Rania, and you should really see this. 
because it looks like something that might have been shared back in the 1950s or 60s. Uh-oh. It has this oh, really, um, um, uh, the, the, this black boy or this black teenager, this man is, is looking um, at you and, and it makes this point of like, hey, if I did what Roy Moore did, how would I be treated? Like, I wouldn't be able to get away with it in this country. Oh, Kate, who thought that was a good idea? It was someone like, in Doug why, Jones' why campaign. Is he on, why is he running on what Roy Moore, like, oh, God. So, That's just not. So mm. it's like, I'm sorry, I don't know, but like. Just pretend, just pretend Roy Moore's black. Re, re, reminding and then, and then, people. And then, and, then, and then think about how you feel about what he did and then vote for me. Just yeah. pretend he's black. Yeah, because you know <laughs> oh what? God. When I think about like the ways that I want to win a campaign, I want to remind my voters how they live in a racist, fucked up country. Like that's 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 usually how you turn out people. No, but he's <laughs> he's literally saying, just imagine if Roy Moore was black. Like just imagine. Now vote for me. Well, they're saying because the only way you're really going to be scared of what he did is if you think he did it as a black man. I just oh, think that would only like depress. It would only depress turnout. Like you're just reminding people that like they or it's get just treated like, it's unequally. Like getting ra- or it's like reminding people that like, oh yeah, I guess what he did was wrong because I don't like blacks when they do it. Like it's just reminding racists. Like what the <laughs> fuck? It's a terrible. Act. But it also brings back that whole thing of like how you know, rape in rape for black Americans has always been really horrible because you have like white women alleging that they were mistreated and they inflate things and it's not all that together true and then you have people lynched because they made up lies about how they or were sometimes mistreated. men sometimes yeah. men making up lies about black men raping white women um like emmett like, with, like right. that's how emmett till ended up getting lynched is because a bunch of i believe am i rewriting history or didn't like a bunch of white men claim he was uh hitting on a white girl yeah, no. Uh, this or whistling, this, whistling this, at a white and girl. bringing that history into this election is absolutely unnecessary. Um, and uh, <laughs> you know, again, the Democrats always find ways to fritter away any sort of lead that they might have had. Uh, it happened with Ossoff, um, who starts bad mouthing single payer health care, and so people get mm. pissed off at him. And it's just <laughs> like, hey, get, you know, like get it together, like. At, at some point, we've, you know, I, I know that, like, the Republicans are the ones that are doing this. They're systematically dismantling environmental regulations. They're going to start building uh, gas refineries on our national, in our national parks. But, you know, who is it, who is failing to stop this from happening? Democrats, because they're supposed mm-hmm. to be the opposition party and they can't get themselves elected. <laughs> That's that's gotta tell you something. I don't think it's ever gonna change. I'm just turning into like a total, just like pessimistic, almost nihilistic. But, <laughs> I'm like, oh fuck it all. But I'll hey, be- <laughs> but hey, on a positive note, it's December 2017, and a year ago we might not have thought that we were gonna make it this far, and we're still here doing this show, and it's wonderful. Yeah, it's and I'm glad that you were here, and we were able to do the show this week, and I'm sure that our listeners really appreciated it. And we love them. And thank you all for supporting the show. Yeah, thank you for supporting the show. Those who aren't supporting the show, support the fucking show. <laughs> damn, Ryan. It's Christmas, it's Christmas you're, time, damn you're it. Go- you're gone for a month and you come back and now you're making orders. I'm just like to- making, well, no, you know what it is? It's because I'm in Germany now where there's like all these great labor laws. And so now I'm just like demanding people support the show. <laughs> I become arrogant. <laughs> oh god right, we better end this before you say something else and like run our audience yeah and then our people start like literally like uh canceling their memberships don't do that i'm just kidding but thank you for those who do support the show thank you for those who listen i uh, hope you enjoyed it uh and we'll be back <laughs>